From the home of creative writing on the internet, live and uncensored, this is Latopia After Dark. Featuring a fusion of low-down gossip and lofty debate. All hosted by Latopia's Peter Cox. Yes, indeed, it's been a momentous week, the single most important week in the history of publishing. Well, that's if you believe all the hype surrounding the Kindle. We're going to see if the Kindle lights our fires tonight. And in other slightly less earth-shattering news, Andrew Morton, who wrote Diana, Her True Story, is turning his biographical attention to Tom Cruise. So we ask, why? Does anyone really care? Are books like this the money pot they used to be? All sorts of other goodies coming up in this live edition of Latopia After Dark. We're writers, we're readers, and we're ready to rumble. But before I go any further, let me introduce the gang. We're very transatlantic today, with panellists from all over the Northern Hemisphere. First up is Beverly Gray, who grew up in Hawaii, got bored with living in paradise, and moved to Indianapolis just to experience the seasons. That was very brave of you, Beverly. Uh, actually, it just kind of happened. I didn't really plan it. <laughs> and you're currently finishing a fantasy novel, aren't you? Yes, I am. Uh, for middle grade readers, it's the story of two boys who leave Kentucky and go to a strange, wondrous world called Owlsport. Fantastic. Okay, we look forward to, to reading that. Also working on a novel for the young adult market is Dave Bartram. Not the bloke from Shawaddy Waddy, that's showing my age, but rather a lecturer in art and design. Do you often get asked to gig, Dave? Um, I've had one mis- case of mistaken identity many years ago in Seychelles, <laughs> where somebody came up to me and said, are you famous? Can I write an article about you? They didn't know my name at the time. All right. <laughs> so you said yes. Well, I should have done. I should have played it all mysterious, but I, I was too honest. I became a kind of legend in my own lunchtime on the world, the first World Music Day. Introduced as Steve to a adoring <laughs> crowd of Italian tourists, but that's another story. <laughs> Fantastic. Also from England, currently a student at Birmingham City University's National Academy of Writing, is the one and only Richard Howes, no stranger to the Latopia podcast. The National Academy of Writing is a pretty new venture, isn't it, Richard? How's it going? It is. It's, it's going very well, actually. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a year into the course. It's the first year that they've run it. Uh, and it's covering quite a lot of topics. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, every time I get down to write something, my style changes dramatically and I have to start again. Mm. But that's, that's the, uh, you know, the only downside to learning, isn't it? Yeah. And is this the, the first year that the National Academy has been running? Yes. Uh, ideally, uh, students could do a, a part-time, uh, possibly between two and five years. I'm hoping to get mine done by the end of next year. Yeah. So, uh, so they're they're looking for some results, aren't they, at the end of the first um, first sort of season of uh, students? Yes, certainly. They're uh, they're they're giving us opportunities uh, all over the place, from just standard writing short stories to looking at journalistic aspects, mm-hmm. uh, to getting us out in communities and doing collaborative projects, whether it's art-based, whether it's you know monologues, plays, whatever. You know, the idea yeah. is just to get us out there, get us active. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, finally, back across the Atlantic again to Donna Borman, who's no stranger to the Lutopia podcast, having interviewed James W. Hall in our last edition. Donna's legal practice has been named one of the top 500 plaintiff's attorneys in the U.S. And her first book is You've Been Served, A Writer's Guide to the Courtroom. Most writers trying to stay out of the courtroom. And that's going to be published in December 2008. And right now, she has on several children's and young adult projects in development. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Peter. It's good to be here. And where where are you actually based? I am based in South Florida, actually Fort Lauderdale. Fantastic. So as opposed to London, because it's really cold today, it's going to get colder over the weekend. And it's like perpetual paradise for you, isn't it? Well, not perpetual. In the summer, it's actually really hot. Mm. Just the sort of place that Beverly would would have moved away from immediately, I suspect. She can't stand (laughs) it. Um, let's let's get going, guys, with the Kindle. It's everywhere you look at the moment, all over the media. Newsweek gave it a seven-page cover story. You can't log on to Amazon without getting Kindle all over you. And this is what Stephen Levy wrote in his massive Newsweek piece uh, this week. He wrote, The Kindle represents a milestone in a time of transition when a challenged publishing industry is competing with television, guitar hero, and time burned on the Blackberry. Literary critics are bemoaning a possible demise of print culture, and Norman Mailer's recent death underlined the dearth of novelists who cast giant shadows. And what Stephen is saying here is that perhaps, perhaps, the Kindle is the saviour of the entire publishing industry. Well, is it? Is it the saviour, or is it the segue, (laughs) if you remember that? And that was another Amazon project, too. Who wants to be brave enough to jump in and volunteer an opinion? Oh, I'll take a stab. All right, go for it, Beverly. This is Beverly. Um, I think if you look at the Kindle the way they used to look at the Penny Dreadfuls or the dime novels, I mean, there was a time when the the mere idea of paperback literary people turned up their noses. And yet for bread and butter writers, it was was heaven sent. It, It did a lot for them. I don't think it will ever take the place of a book, but it may for the books you only read one time, that kind of thing. Environmentally, I think it could be a great thing. My biggest issue with it is I don't know if it's comfy cozy yet. Yeah. Until the technology creates something that looks like a book, feels like a book, that's comfortable to carry around or prop on the table or what have you, I, I think I think we're going to see it, but I'm not sure this is it yet. So you're probably going to buy one. Uh, eventually, probably, yeah. Mm, anybody else brave enough to, to step up there and be uh, one of the first in line? I think the, um, it's Dave here, by the way. Um, mm. the, the key thing is, is the difference, as you say, between the one-off book you read on holiday and the book you want to keep. But also, I just think about how readily people took on uh, MP3 downloads from CD and how readily they took on CD from vinyl yeah. and how quickly we adapt I, you know, it seems remarkably inconvenient to me to use discs to play music now, yeah, yeah. and we adapt to these changes very, very rapidly. And I think it'll fragment the market into the kinds of books that people like to keep around, and the throwaway, one-off titles that you're going to read once and never going to look at again. Okay, so that's interesting. So you think that the sort of uh, pulp fiction, so to speak, um, will be published or uh, uh, electronically? downloadable and sort of more durable stuff will still be published on on plants 
yeah, I, th mm. I think that's the way it'll go. You've seen the resurgence of vinyl for certain kinds of music, for yeah. example. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a different kind of functionality, but uh, that would be my guess. I mean, how many people have an encyclopedia in their house now, a proper set of encyclopedias? Yeah. You know, you don't buy them anymore. Yeah, exactly. Be I, th because I think that's a good elsewhere. point. Donna. Uh, well, I, I was just saying, I think that's a good point because I wouldn't have predicted in law school that I wouldn't enter a law library for years at a time, but here I am. All my research is done online. Yeah. I only go to law libraries to wait before hearings. Yeah. So I, I think it's inevitable that we have a generation that's come up with technology. They're more comfortable with it. And I think that it's going to happen. The question is, how is it going to happen? Uh, the thing that concerns me is outdatedness. Here we are with computers, and there's a system upgrade or a new system every year or so. Does that mean you've lost all your old books? I would be heartbroken to mm. lose my books. I have every book I've ever bought. Yeah, yeah. Rich. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry, go ahead, Bev. Oh, I was, I was just going to say that was my concern with the idea of the technology, that I'm not sure it's there yet, um, simply because unless the, it, it's set up to, to be backward compatible, uh, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's quite interesting how everyone seems so um, optimistic about it. I mean, I, I, I've got some facts for you here, okay? I mean, this is not the first time that people have, have tried to move us all over to, to reading like this. Um, a few years ago, there was the Gemstar rocket, which went the way of all um, mortal things. And not so long ago, there was the Sony ebook reader. Now, I've been trying to find out sales figures for that, and I've, I've heard some incredibly low numbers quoted. I can't find out anything authoritatively, but I really think the sales have been tiny. And the, um, the estimate for the current ebook market size is $25 million a year. And if you put that in perspective, compare it to another downloadable product, telephone ringtones. Now, telephone ringtones generate so much money that $25 million is generated in just 33 minutes. So the ebook market is absolutely minute right now. And what, what makes anybody really think that it's going to, you know, it's going to take off? Well, I'm not good at predicting technology success. I thought CDs were a fad because nobody would abandon their old record collections, and I laughed at pay TV. But I do think people are used to staring at computer screens. There's going to be a strong e-alternative to the book sometime in the near future, whether this is it. Uh, there's another competitor called the Iliad that apparently has a bigger, better screen. Something's going to happen. That will be an alternative. I don't think d books will completely disappear, but I think that there's going to be a lot of reasons why people are going to be looking for e-books. Yeah. Do we do we actually want this to happen? You know, putting our writers' hats on now. I mean, do we do we want to write for the e-book? Has anybody thought how that's going to be? I think the issue is uh, disposability. I mean, that's the difference between maybe a book and a ringtone, which people buy, they use for a while, then they buy another one, and they use that for a while. Books traditionally are more durable so maybe it's perhaps not having now going to contradict myself completely not quite the same yeah. thing i think i think also the um and donna brought up a good point i question a dedicated ebook reader i think it's more apt to be a marriage uh, something that comes down to the cell phone. I mean, look at the iPhone. It's already got a screen. It's got a keyboard. Uh, I think more likely it's something that's going to 
maybe build off the cell phone technology. Mm. As to whether one would want to write for it, I think for a lot of uh, bread and butter writers, those who, who aren't able to write the big blockbusters, mm. it it might go the way of the uh, old dime novels the you know you're not maybe you're not on a tier to to be published by one of the big houses or even one of the middle houses but you still might be a good writer you might have a following i think for those writers this could be great well um, uh, associated news relevant news Houghton Mifflin has just signed a deal with Moby Fusion to deliver electronic versions of its books to cell phones which is exactly what you just predicted Beverly but i don't know has anyone ever read a book on a cell phone i don't like the idea of it personally i mean you know my eyes get a bit squiffy watching the uh, the screen on a 1024 by 768 let alone you know looking at it on a on a little screen of a phone it yeah. sounds awful yeah. i mean i i like the idea of the kindle itself you know looking at the uh, the advertising on amazon it looks such a, a nice sized text you know you you've got at least what eight nine words on a line on a mobile phone it's what three four oh, no. maybe it's all in text <laughs> speak. well you're gonna you're gonna have books that are like 500 words long yeah. cell phone books are huge in japan <laughs> Do you remember that scene in Star Trek? I think it was Star Trek Four, where D- Bones McCoy give, gives Captain Kirk a book for his his birthday, and it's yeah. such a, my lord, it's an antique, and that, that's what I think of when I hear about the Kindle and things like it. Oh, I was saying, cell phone books are huge in Japan. It opens up a market for writers who can write a serialized novel. For instance, uh, this is how Sherlock Holmes started: serialized novels. So why not have cell phone books? Uh, the Japanese are are downloading them in huge numbers and apparently Ooh. horror stories do particularly well in this kind of medium because you increase your tension because they're serialized right but yeah it's very interesting that's a, i hadn't heard about that donna that's yeah. interesting yeah you could also yeah. use these the light from your your cell phone to put under your chin to make yourself really scary <laughs> as well <laughs> Well, the other thing interesting about what what they're saying about cell phone books in Japan is that the writers say they can tell when readers are getting bored because their access tallies dip, and so they can change the plot line. Yeah, yeah. Wow, make it up as you That's go along. That's scary. But isn't this? I don't know. I mean, this is this is great. I mean, I I think cell phone books fantastic if it you know it generates a bit more cash for the authors and for the hardworking agents as well. Well, yeah, great. Let's <laughs> let's do it. But it's not going to replace the book, is it? it uh, uh, you know, isn't this all just hype saying this this is the way that the, the reading is going to be? I mean, the book has evolved. It didn't just happen yesterday. It's evolved to be the perfect thing. It's fantastic, incredibly cheap data storage, very, very robust. It'll stick around for hundreds of years. I'd like to see the DVD that will stick around for 20 or 30 years. Um, and it's, it's cheap, it's disposable, it's not particularly environmentally friendly. This is what um, this is what a Microsoft guy said quite recently, because Microsoft are completely convinced, too, that this is the way of the future. This is what he said. We chop down trees, we transport them to plants, we mash them up into pulp, we move the pulp to another factory to press into sheets, ship the sheets to a plant to put dirty marks on them, then cut the sheets and bind them and ship, ship the thing around the world. Do you really believe that we'll be doing that in 50 years? And he may have a point. Well, that sounds like a techie. It does. <laughs> um, I don't think it will ever replace the books. It may be books will become like they used to be for 500 years ago when they were luxury items, when they were bound in fine leather. Uh, 
I don't think you'll ever reach the point with a true reader where anything will take the place of just the feel of the book in your hand, turning the pages. Uh, it, it, I, I think it'll hit more with the uh, trade books, textbooks, things like that. For mm. these kinds of books, that could be really a good thing. More of a, a cousin than, than replacement. Well, let, let me throw another um, spanner into the works here then for, for everyone to think about. Um, since we've got such a high-powered brains trust here tonight, and it's, it's DRM. Digital Rights Management. Now, those books that are being released at the moment, I, I understand those ones at least that are in copyright, have DRM. And DRM, perhaps, is the single greatest factor underlying the demise of the music business. And, you know, to think that, that book publishers are sort of standing there, ready and waiting to put their head in the DRM noose makes me go cold, actually. I think it's a nightmare. I think there's also an upside to it, too, which is that if, if this is really the way of the future, the way that books are going to be distributed, and this is, it's, remember, this is, I don't think it's what readers necessarily want. We, you don't see queues outside Waterstones and, and Borders saying, give us our e-books. It's actually what, what a few very powerful publishers and manufacturers really want to happen because it's very much in their interest. They're going to make enormous amounts more money out of downloadable product. They're going to have no warehousing. They don't have to deal with difficult retailers and all their problems go away. But I think it's a mirage. I think once you start doing that, you put DRM on, the first thing that happens in, within hours, some 12-year-old in the Philippines is going to crack it wide open. So effectively, your intellectual property has no further protection. And one final point before Absolutely. I shut up and throw it out, um, to, to, to you, I, I think the book itself has got great digital rights management um, inbuilt into it because who's going to stand over a photocopier for three or four hours you know copying every page of a book that's only ten dollars in any case over to you guys there, there, there was that case in uh, france as a student um typing up uh jk rowling's last harry potter wasn't there and, yeah uh, yeah well he was, he was clearly mad <laughs> <laughs> yeah let alone to read it but to type it and then have to read it again exactly. uh, who did his editing um personally uh, as far as DRM goes, you know, I, I now do the, the legal downloads from iTunes, uh, but I can't stand their file formatting, you know, and the first thing I do is I burn it onto CD and then I copy it back to MP3 so I can use it however I want, yeah. you know, and I, I uh, as a writer wannabe, uh, I'm quite fearful of my book just suddenly going out there and then, bosh, it's all over the place and I've, I've completely lost control. It'll happen. Yeah. I'm convinced. It's good. Any, any any more comments? Anyone disagree with that? Well, I think no, the music I, industry I has pioneered the 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 way uh, to enforce this stuff, and they're coming down hard on people who are stealing music. And yeah. I think that uh, to some extent, it's been good for us. That so, can you see publishers suing readers? Absolutely. Why not? Uh, certainly, uh, music publishers didn't anticipate that when, when the whole music download industry started, but they're doing it, and, and they're going to have to keep doing it. Well, that's the nasty music industry, yeah. you know, and they're, and they're all crooks in the music business. We know that well. But, you know, but the, the, the publishing industry, we're nice people. You know, we're, we're in, in it because we, we believe in enhancing um, the quality of life of the human race. We don't, we don't sue our readers. We work with them, surely. Sure. Well, you don't care about money. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference, isn't it? Because you got me there. It happened. It happened <laughs> to the record industry. You know, the the publishing industry are actually choosing to go into it. They're they're choosing to get involved, at least from that footing. Yeah. You know, they should be able to plan ahead. 
Well, they've had the issue with films, too, with people going in with camcorders and, you know, shooting whole movies and then pirating the copies. Mm. I think this is one of those evolving technology is moving a little faster than we can keep up with it. Uh, we can only hope that things will start tightening up on it. I don't know, Peter. It's like Donna, I don't like to, to predict. I'm, I'm usually well, wrong. <laughs> well, you predict, that, something. That, you that, predict something, Beverly. In that case, we'll know the opposite's going to happen. That raises yeah, that, a, that's a, probably a good truth. <laughs> another point, actually, uh, is, is raised there in the... Um, Eli Roth's uh, latest film, Hostel 2, um, it's aimed at the age group that's most likely to download it illegally off the internet. Um, so I suppose from the book aspect, it's not as, as likely that the kind of people that are going to download it illegally are the ones that want to read it anyway. Yeah, yeah. There's an interesting parallel just to thinking about the, comparing the music downloads to this I mean we've all got many people have got mp3 players and you know I've got my little iPod and it can contain god knows how many songs mm. and I've got lots on it and uh, what was that it's a bit static uh, oh right um, <laughs> and um, uh, I won't even tell you what sort of computer I'm using then um, and uh, I, I only listen to about 20 of them and I think this whole 200 books in a in your pocket thing yeah. is, unless you're you you need a handful of technical manuals or something, is is kind of faddy, and and the, the appeal of that data storage soon will fade. I think. Oh, trust me, it's a new upper class. I personally look forward to having the problem of people pirating my work. Whoa, <laughs> be careful, hostage to fortune, Donna. Oh, not sure about that. Okay, so you've got 200 <laughs> books. You've got 200 books, right, on your, um, on your Kindle. I won't keep on wanting to say kindling. You've got 200 books. That's $10 each. $2,000 you got invested there. So um, one night you're reading in the bath and you drop it. Or one day you're flying somewhere for a business meeting and you leave it on the plane. I mean, what you know? isn't this going to rapidly stop the, the early adopters from, uh, from, from giving it the, the vitally good word of mouth that products like this need to succeed? Well, well, Amazon have said that, that they will allow them uh, access to, to get. So you've got a log on, on Amazon of, of the books that you've purchased. Right. Uh, but, but obviously then, you know, someone is going around with 200 free books on a Kindle somewhere <laughs> that they picked up as, you know, they dropped off the Sun newspaper because they were bored uh, as they reached yeah. the Algarve. They suddenly got 200 books. It'd be amazing. You know what? I could actually see this. I mean, I just think there are so many um, potentials here for disaster, um, especially if it's forced too fast too soon. I could see this as being the end of big publishing. And, and here's why. Initially, when the Internet got going, um, a lot of publishers were very distrustful because they, they, um, they thought it was going to lead to something that they created a word for called disintermediation. In other words, authors could communicate directly with readers, sell their products directly to readers. So why would they need publishers? That didn't happen as far as the Internet was concerned. But I think it might happen with the the ebook reader. I really do. I, I agree. Um, you know, when when you consider that people like Radiohead in the music industry, George Michael with his yeah. next album, it's all going to be available on the internet, uh, either free or choose your own price. They've they've now set themselves up. People know who they are. Uh, they don't need the music industry behind them anymore. They can mm -hmm. do what they want. And I think for people, say, like J.K. Rowling, like Stephen King, uh, Jilly Cooper, whoever, the, the ones who are already set up uh, are in prime position to benefit from that. It's then the newbies getting into the system that yeah. possibly will be tied into the publishers for a little bit longer. 
Yeah, I could see that happening too. Any final thoughts on the on the Kindle? I want one. You want one? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care whether it's going to work properly or whether it's going to break, but it looks great, and well, I like technology. Yeah, it'll have, it'll have. I tell you what, it'll have some resale value on on um, eBay, just as a curiosity. I think. I, I <laughs> my, my my own my own verdict. I think it's um, I think it's going to fail. But I, 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 agree, I agree with most of uh, our panel as well. I think that this is, ultimately, it is the destiny of reading, but I don't think it's just yet. The other thing I think is that it may re-energize the dying newspaper industry. There's uh -huh. a lot of opportunity there. Yes, absolutely. They, yeah. But they did try that about, was it four years ago, three years ago? The, uh, the, the, you know, the electronic paper uh, newspapers that was there was a whole big thing about that you could upgrade your paper daily to this yeah. tablet yeah. and it it appeared in the news and then vanished overnight yeah that's because all the news services set up on on the internet that that's getting back to my point about a dedicated item or a dedicated technology yeah. um, I'm just not sure something that's dedicated to one thing is going to catch on. Mm -hmm. Very good thought, Deb. Now, okay, let's let's move on to something more important. Um, Tom Cruise is going to get the Andrew Morton treatment. You remember Andrew Morton? He's the guy who wrote uh, Diana, her, her true story. Actually, apparently, Diana wrote most of it and uh, and slipped Andrew copies. Um, he's well known to being very tough on uh, on the people that that he uh, biographizes, and apparently, Tom and Katie are scared to death about what this book might say. Um, so it, it sounds to me as if the old hype machine is starting to move up into uh, into gear again to uh, to sell, hopefully, for Andrew some hundreds of thousands of books. But actually, I don't know. Do you think times have changed? Do we care anymore about this kind of book? Will this sort of thing be a bestseller? What do we think? Uh, certainly celebrities, it, it seems to work for. And I'm, I'm not sure of the high-end... Yeah, celebrities like Tom Cruise, but I mean, there was the, the article in the news today about Tom being in a fat suit, uh, being bald uh, for a, a, his next <laughs> film, and apparently the pictures got leaked on the internet. And there's this, this, you know, this how the journalists get all involved and blow it all out of proportion. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's not very happy about that. So I can imagine that regardless of of who's writing his uh, biography, you know, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He's not going to be very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have said after September 11th, no, but after all the attention to Paris Hilton, Britney Spears at all, uh, yeah, uh, there's a market. I just question whether Tom Cruise is going to be quite as popular as some, simply because he's he's a little past the age of the glamour kid now. Yeah. Um, and he's he's doesn't have the following or stature of say a princess Diana. Well, um, no, he he's a lot shorter than her. Uh, that's true. <laughs> he, I tell you what, he's got a lot of scary friends in the Scientologists. Uh, I was going to say the yeah. Scientology link is what's going to sell it because yeah. there's going to be yeah. a huge amount of curiosity about what how he got involved with it, what it means, you know what the money situation is with all of that, how it, you know the whole mm. what do they call it auditing issues and. All of that is going to sell more books than the fact that it's Tom Cruise. Yeah, it's, in fact, true. it's Tom Cruise who is a Scientologist. Yeah. Yeah, now, you that's, know, there's the, uh, I hadn't thought of that angle. Yeah. Yeah. Tom I, is threatening to sue because Morton is going to say he's gay. Um, on the other hand, Morton's hired a former <laughs> gay porn star to research Cruise's life, so there's a whole credibility issue. I think that alone is going to make it a bestseller. Amazing. 
Well, if Tom does sue Donna, um, he's going to sue in England, isn't he? He's going to sue in in our system rather than the the somewhat fairer American system that has um, what is the Fourth Amendment, isn't it? Or is the First Amendment? Well, there's a First Amendment here, but mm. uh, it doesn't really apply. Um, too much to this situation. What I guess the question is uh, defamation, probably whether truth is a defense, and if if he can come up with the goods to say it's true, mm. then I think he wins either there or here. On the other hand, I think you have more privacy rights over there, so he may well go after uh, them over there to say that he has some privacy rights. Yeah, I mean, what what generally happens in the publishing business because publishers, you know, with very very few exceptions, really do not like lawsuits. I mean, the, the, the problem with, with a lawsuit is that, um, you know, it doesn't, ultimately it doesn't really matter if you win or lose. I mean, it, what happens is that the books come off the shelves and 90 times out of 100, they never go back on again. Um, so really just sort of one or two moves in the legal direction quite often is enough to scare publishers away. I don't even remember Kitty Kelly's book a few years ago about the royal family. Which was, I mean, I, I picked up a copy um, in New York and had a look at it. It didn't seem particularly scurrilous to me. It was never published in the UK, never published here, because publishers were, were frightened. They were, they were terrified. So that's really what, what, what um, you know, how things are used on a practical basis to stop publishers from uh, putting out material that perhaps an important person doesn't like too much. Well, wouldn't that be great publicity, though? The lawsuit over whether Tom is gay or not would be great. <laughs> 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 Nicole Kidman to the stand. The gentleman does protest too much, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yes. But is there anything worse that could be written than eyes wide shut? You know. I don't know. It's quite, yeah, you've got a point. Seeing it all on display. Yeah, yeah, you've got a point. Oh, dear. Right. Uh, uh, even more serious now, redundancies. Bloomsbury, the, the, the publisher who made um, untold hundreds of millions, possibly more than that, out of Harry Potter. They've announced that uh, there, there are going to be some redundancies. This is scary stuff uh, for, for an agent sitting in, in, in my shoes. Um, because, you know, when, when there's a threat of a recession on the horizon, the publishing industry usually just curls up into a little protective fetal ball, unfortunately. Magazine publishers, they, they, they get hit as well, but they respond, they tend to respond rather differently. They do get hit as far as the advertising revenue is concerned, of course, because advertising budgets are the first things to be slashed in a recession. So they, they do suffer. But they take, I think, on the whole, a rather more robust attitude and say, uh, we're in the entertainment business, and even in a recession, people are going to spend a few dollars on... Um, on a, a magazine for a few hours of, um, of escapism. But book publishing doesn't tend to think like that. And um, it, it, they, they make cuts, and the cuts never seem to, to get restored. So the question for our brains trust tonight is, if you were running a major publisher with this, this threat of recession on the horizon, what would you do? Try and find another Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, well, that's you what Bloomsbury's been doing, isn't it? I don't think they haven't tried, yeah. yeah. I think it's time for them to start going through the slush pile again. It could be, yes. Yeah. Oh, I'll mean, set the mine. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll appreciate that. Yeah. It's not ready. <laughs> um, you, you've, got, you've got publishers doing all kinds of things at the moment. You've got um, uh, HarperCollins in making some very interesting moves as far as the internet are concerned, uh, doing some pretty imaginative things there. And remember, of course, HarperCollins potentially, I think, is better positioned than any major publisher because it's part of... Uh, Rupert Murdoch's empire, and they've got, um, as their cousins, they've got uh, Sky News here in the UK, which really controls sort of digital distribution of, um, of television media. Um, and, of course, um, you've got News International, which owns just about everything else. So, potentially, they're, they're, they're well poised to do something 
in terms of synergy. Deep pockets. That's yeah. very useful. Yeah, it it is useful. But but what? Okay, so let's let's take you, Beverly. So you're sitting on top of a pile of cash that you've just made from Harry Potter, and you want to make the next good move that's going to see you through the next recession. What would you do? Well, if, if you I'd start it. going through the slush pile. Seriously. Seriously, just find some good solid stories. Maybe not huge blockbusters, but yeah. just you know books that. So it's back to well, basics, isn't it? It's back to list. basics. It's 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 don't don't pretend that you're an internet um, mogul. Just get back to basics and do what you know doing best. Right. Exactly. Mm. I think it's that, and it's maybe it's worth remembering what the function of narrative is in culture, which is to do all these things when times are hard. To you know, to lift people's spirits, give them an alternative view, new strategies, different ways of approaching things, and to get them out of that maybe difficult situation for a little yeah. while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 20th century sure did that in the 1930s. Took a little girl and she became the sweetheart of the world. Absolutely. Shirley Temple. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Donna. Layoffs are increasing in all industries in this economy, which is great for me, by the way. Um, my business is always good uh, when the economy is tanking and when it's going up. But um, what I find about layoffs is it's an opportunity for people to reassess. Um, Maybe some people who get laid off at Bloomsbury are going to form an independent publishing company. Yeah. Some, Peter, I'm afraid, will become agents. No, um, but it, I don't want any more competition. <laughs> it's more opportunity for writers all around when people go out and look for other things to do. So anything that can cut into um, a virtual monopoly that some of these large publishers have, uh, I think is a good thing for writers. Mm. Well, I, I completely agree. I mean, let, let's hope that's exactly what does happen with some, some people who are going to lose their job in the months ahead. Um, let's, let's move on now. Just to make it, uh, We're drawing to the close of this particular podcast. Let's try to sort of end on a slightly more upbeat note than that. Um, because, you know, as long as there are readers out there, there will always be a demand for writers in one way or another. So, guys, what are you currently reading? Tell us what you're reading and give us... In addition to that, if you can, give us one recommendation for what I'm going to call the sleeper of the week. That's a book that perhaps other people might not have come across. It might be, it might not have been published yesterday, it might be decades old, but you think people really ought to, to expose themselves to. Can we start off, let's, who should we start with? Let's start off with, with you, Beverly. I just finished Trustee from the Tool Room by Neville Shute. Mm. Oh, I really love the out-of-print book purchase site of Barnes & Noble. It's amazing what you can find there. For anyone who likes James Hilton or Warwick Deeping, this is a must-read. Mm. It's one of Shute's simple but profound everyman stories. It is the tale of Keith Stewart, a mechanical engineer who creates working miniature models in his basement. His happy, uneventful life is turned upside down when his sister and brother-in-law are killed in a boating accident in Tahiti. He becomes the trustee of his 10-year-old niece. In an effort to secure her future, he leaves her with his quiet little wife and embarks on an extraordinary personal journey to Tahiti. Uh, Shoot is just one of those lovely character writers, mm -hmm. and anyone who's never read him, this is a good one to start with. And so, give give us the name again. Trustee from the Tool Room. Trustee from the Tool Room. Fantastic. And is that what you're currently reading, or is that your your recommendation? I just finished it. All right. And it's my recommendation. And it's your recommendation as well. Fantastic. Right. Uh, currently, I'm reading Mary Stewart again. So. Okay. Just some fun reading. Okay, Dave. Right. Uh, well, I've just I'm just halfway through the uh, 
Book of Dead Days Omnibus by Marcus Sedgwick, which I'm reading as kind of research into the YA market. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm enjoying it very much. It's very good. It's yeah. uh, it's an interesting tale. It's got some nice twists and turns, uh, nice imagery. It's it's a good rollicking read, exactly the sort of thing people need in a recession, really. Yep, there we go. It's exciting. <laughs> it's fun. You know, there's a little bit of thrill and a bit of danger. It's it's good. It's yeah. enjoy- very enjoyable. And as a recommendation, um, difficult. There are two or three I would recommend. And I think probably uh, of the three, probably the least well-known would be First Light by Peter Aykroyd. I don't know if anybody's read that. It's a fantastic book. It does everything you shouldn't do. It tells a lot. It's elliptical. It references all sorts of odd things. Yeah, everything I say you shouldn't do, yeah. yeah. It's 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 and one it, of those books. Works. Yeah. And it's fantastic. You know, I read it before I knew anything about how one is supposed to do things. Yeah. And it captivates me. One of the reviews on the back says, you were drawn into this tale as if by a magus. And that's exactly it. Mm. It's a fantastic book. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Dave. Um, Donna. Well, I'm simultaneously simultaneously reading three books on re- on writing themselves. Uh, one is called Hooked by Les Edgerton, um, and I'm using that to help me develop my newest book. Yeah. Um, I've worked on two novels, drastically improving them by using Donald Mass's Writing the Breakout novel, and now I'm using it to outline them and to outline my next one. And I've also been using Give Them What They Want, the right way to pitch your novel to editors and agents right. because I've made up my mind that 2008 is my year to get represented. Fantastic. And then Woo-hoo. fun, for fun, I'm reading <laughs> Children of the Lamp, which is the first in a series of Children in the Lamp uh, by P.B. Kerr. Um, and it's about children who find their part genie, and they have to find out uh, how to harness their newly found powers while hunting down and defeating an evil genie. I've just started it, and I'm really enjoying it. Mm. Uh, That sounds fun. My sleeper of the week, and I have to say this, I I stand by the statement that children's books are some of the best writing out there these days. Mm. So if you haven't read Kate DiCamillo's Tale of Despero, buy it now and start reading. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Donna. Richard? Uh, yeah, I, I picked up um, The Book of Other People, which is uh, actually a compilation of short stories by a lot of writers and edited by Zadie Smith. Um, ideally, uh, it's really just each story is aimed at the character. So I, I love short stories. I, just, I, wish, you know, I wish publishers would find a way to make them more commercial. Well, yeah, cer- certainly in respect to this, it, mm. it's it's very good to to look at it, just like a, a a Chekhov short story. You know, looking at the characters and the nature of character. You know, these are really boiling boiling it down to those essential ingredients, and it's really good for a for a starting writer to to kind of go back to short stories and and kind of just focus on the character elements. You know, push out the the narrative of the 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 story and the what the big deals of this this story world is all about, and look at the characters, because that that's that's where a lot of new writers seem to fall over. Yeah. I mean, the the extra especially good thing about this book is that uh, all royalties uh, are going um, to the uh, H twenty six NYC Dave Eggers nonprofit organization, which is dedicated to helping children with their reading and writing. Good. Oh, uh, that's great. I also feel like I'm you know giving back to the community when I read that in a small way. And, uh, I mean, I've I've only read a, a few of the few of the stories so far, but you know, standouts are uh, David Mitchell's Judith Castle, 
um, which is just about a, a woman who's who's needs desperately love from people but unfortunately because of that need she kind of thrusts herself upon them as you know these horrible middle-aged women you find walking down the street you know, dressed in god knows what trying to be the lovies of everybody um so yeah i'm, I'm quite enjoying that at the moment and uh my uh, my recommendation is a book i've been reading on and off for the for the past months and was actually recommended to me by my uh, tutor nicola monaghan uh, at the National Academy of Writing, and it's Francine Prose's Reading Like a Writer. So it's not a fictional book, but it, it's it's really looking at elements of of writing. You know, everyone from Chekhov to Fitzgerald, and you know, looking at different elements from the narrative to detail to dialogue to character gestures, uh, and and picking out elements of of why these stories work and what they're trying to do. Uh, and I, I think it. It's such such a brilliant book that you know I'm gonna have to go back to just like Robert McKee's story. It's one of those books that, as a writer, yeah. you have to read it over and over and over. Yeah, help you develop your style. I always think McKee's book is a good uh, checklist. Actually, uh, I mean, I, I recommend it to uh, to everybody. Um, I think it's a little ponderous. It could be a little bit thinner, but you know, um, it's it's there, and uh, he's done the work, so you don't have to you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Basically, uh, I think it's a very useful reference book. Guys, I I want to say thank you so much for making time to contribute to Utopia After Dark. Um, Beverly Gray, Dave Bartram, Donna Ballman, Richard Howes. Thank you for being fantastic contributors. We will see you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Peter. Thanks. Thanks. Utopia's Writer's Colony, the home of creative writing on the internet, www.latopia.com.